0: GrowCFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. And today I've got Tom Ricker-McCarthy from Lucidity here as guest. Now Lucidity are a partner of grow CFO, and they provide the GrowCFO digital Toolkit. We're going to be talking about executing your business strategy, which is one of the great things that Toolkit is suitable for. But first of all, welcome to the Grow CFO Show, Tom.
1: Thank you very much, Kevin. It's nice to be back. I remember we spoke, well, some time ago in the distant past on one of these, which was great and enjoyable. So hopefully we can do round two again today and it's equally as interesting.
0: Yeah. So I suppose what we ought to tell the audience is that the start of February, we're running the February Grow CFO quest on how to execute your business strategy. And you're going to be joining me in the classroom for the first time in that quest. So we talk in general about what that execution piece is all about today. Give folk a little bit of a flavor of what we might be doing on the quest, Tom.
1: Yeah, So I think for those involved with strategy in any shape or form, they probably know that execution is the big dark hole that most strategies fall down. (laughs) And for those that are less familiar with strategy, the formulation end of life, the offsite, considering options, what to do, et cetera, that's sort of the easy bit really. And the difficult bit making it happen is coming out of those workshops with that material and translating that into activities that the organization and the teams and the people in the organization can pick up run with deliver against monitor progress deliver results etc that's really the hard bit and, that's and
0: being that strategy being the 50 page document that's just sitting on the shelf gathering dust
1: yeah exactly so the old days were what i call the birthday event the once-a-year strategy offsite, and, as you say, producing a big, thick document that people put a lot of time and effort into, and then it goes into the bottom drawer or the digital equivalent of the bottom drawer. And the reality is now, for many reasons, the speed of change, complexity of life in general, that birthday event is very dated. And once people get into executing, their strategy actually becomes monthly, should-be, weekly, arguably daily activity because strategy is about choice. What are you going to focus on and what are you not going to do? And you're presented with those challenges and decisions actually on a daily basis when you're running a business or in a business. So actually strategy becomes a daily event. And having that sort of clarity, the thought about what the strategy is, having People understand that, senior management down to frontline people. That's absolutely critical because people will then have to make their own minds up in reality. Should I be doing this or not? What's the best decision here given our strategy? And so that becomes quite a sort of a difficult thing to achieve for everyone in the organization to understand what the plan is, where they fit in, how they contribute, and what they should or shouldn't be doing on a daily basis. So that hopefully gives you some idea or the audience some idea of the challenges here and why there are certain approaches and also certain tools and arguably certain software that helps deal with really quite a complex challenge when strategy has to be executed.
0: So I often think, Tom, that the starting point when we talk about execution is that out of whatever you've done strategy-wise, whether it be a board meeting, whether it be an off-site or a series of events, that somehow you will have come up with a quite a straightforward list that I'd call stop, start, continue. Now, here's what we're going to stop going forward. Here's the new products, customers, markets, geographies. Whatever it is that we're going to start, here's the part of the business that we already do that's looking quite good. We're going to continue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's a sort of a classic for me, having run pre COVID various workshops, the one or two day offsite type thing. And that start, stop, continue thing is the moment I always think when a team finally starts to get what the strategy is, which is choosing what to do and what not to do. And you're right. And from that moment onwards, that you're sort of actually starting to step into execution. And some of those sort of choices rear their heads up very quickly. And let's make this relevant to the CFO audience. So for example, continuing what's good, great, that's pretty straightforward. Stopping what isn't good for the organization. So this is where the CFO has to be brave and help everyone else around the table make those decisions because you need to decide to stop certain activities, be they products, services, territories, officers, teams. And this is where the human side kicks in, where the politics kick in, etc. But you have to be brave at this point and stop funding those things that are not helping the organization move forward. They're taking too much time and energy for not enough return, okay? The second sort of thing going on at this point in time is equally being brave and funding the new things, the new activities, the start column, if you like. What are we starting to do? What do we need to start doing? And the CFO plays a critical role here because they've got to fund those things properly. Because a classic mistake is people coming out of the offsite revved up, and then two months later, the three months later, the sales team are still sat there with the old play plan and the old targets, rather than the new play plan and the new targets to get everyone focused on the things that are going to drive the business forward, not hold it back. And that is one example of a classic mistake where execution starts to fall down. Now, what should happen, ideally, is the CFO and the CRO, these days the sales director, the CRO, Really, they ought to sit in a room together and agree disagreeably, if you like, on what's going to get funded and what isn't and what those new targets look like for the old stuff and for the new stuff. And quite often that doesn't happen and quite often those pay plans aren't put in place in time and you have a sales and marketing function that doesn't really know what it's doing and it's not pulling in the same direction. So that's, that's a simple example, I think, of where execution becomes difficult straight away, where the CFO has to play a pretty key role stopping old stuff, funding new stuff. And the CFO has to play a key role in helping their colleagues around the senior management table, help, equip them to move forward and start driving the growth.
0: I think that stop list is critical in here, Tom. Quite often, there is no new money. Yeah. You know, I want to start stuff, We've got to fund it properly. Where's the money coming from? Yes, you're right. Typically, 2023, we've seen a very tight year. Cash has been tight for everybody. Funding has been difficult. You are going to get the cash to fund the new stuff by taking it away from the old.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's why
0: I love zero-based budgeting.
1: You're exactly right. It's got to come from somewhere. Either there's some fundraising activity and the last sort of 12, 24 months have been a fairly difficult fundraising environment. you go and raise some debt to fund some new stuff. And again, interest rates are high and a lot of people are suffering with debt. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it has to come from somewhere else, doesn't it? And something else needs to be
0: chopped and stopped. Stopping stuff, in my experience, is incredibly difficult. You know? You're doing this zero-based budget. You're getting everybody to justify everything in their budget from scratch, and your criteria will be: is it in the strategy? Isn't it in the strategy? Yeah, we always get these pet projects coming out that Mm -hmm. you ever mentioned while you're putting the strategy together. People are spending a lot of time on them. They don't want to give them up. They want an exception to the budget line, and it's a hugely difficult process.
1: It is, and again, what you're touching on there is the sort of where the human nature of Strategy kicks in and the politics, etc. There's a great book, Strategy on the Hockey Stick, which is written by the M- some McKinsey guys. And chapter one is all about that. And it's a toe curling read for anybody who's sat in strategy workshops where those behaviors kick in, where people are trying to keep the status quo, trying to protect budgets, headcounts, activities, etc. So take a step back. And so this is where communication is really critical around successful strategy because if the strategy is good and that has been communicated well then people should by and large understand and agree with it and then therefore the process that you've just described whilst it may not be easy it should be easier where some of those decisions whilst unpopular or at least understood and can go through more easily or be accepted more readily. So the communication piece is really important. The other aspect of this is I had a bit of an epiphany a little while ago, Kevin. (laughs) 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 I realized that a good starting point when you're at the front end of this execution thing, a good starting point is to just make the assumption and behave accordingly that people won't engage so take that position from the off no one's going to engage with this and then look at it team by team why is it they might not engage and how can we mitigate against that so the senior management team let me just do a couple of examples senior management team might want to protect the status quo have cognitive bias and might have based decisions on emotion and politics rather than data. So how can you mitigate against that? I think it's having an environment where people can discuss stuff openly and honestly. It's basing those decisions on facts. So therefore, people are willing to be less protectionist around how things have been done or what their particular sort of team activity looks like. So if you look at managers, typically managers are, they haven't got enough time to take on new responsibilities or deal with change they might not fully understand the strategy themselves they might have poor time management skills they might not be very good communicators so for the management layer spend time with them to really educate them on what the strategy is so they feel confident about onwardly communicating with that give them some time management training give them some communication skills training etc so where is this strategy going to hit a brick wall Identify that upfront, assume the worst, and then think about actually how can we mitigate those things proactively. And taking that approach actually can be quite transformative in the success of things. Assume the worst and then mitigate against all those problems. So there's a number of things that can be done here, but I think a really critical thing is, and I picked there on the senior management team. This has to come from the senior managers. It's a bit hackneyed leading from the front or whatever you want to call it. But the senior managers have to prioritize strategy because if they don't, no one else will. And we know, we did a survey a couple of years ago. We went out to 500 chief strategy officers and we said to them, what are the biggest challenges you have? And the answer came back, number one answer. We did this actually, interestingly, with for-profits, so businesses. And we did it with non-profits, charities. And the answer came back the same from both of those communities. That's interesting. Same answer. Yes, it was. And the answer was the same. The biggest challenge was getting people to focus on, to prioritise what was strategically important, rather than spend time and effort on things that were not strategically important. So it zoomed straight back to, actually, the start, stop, continue. It zoomed straight back to that. But with a slightly different language. So, getting people to prioritize, maintaining visibility, maintaining momentum, they were the sorts of biggest challenges. And one of the reasons we did that survey was in the same survey, we asked them, and this was organizations up to about 10,000 people, and we asked them, what tools are you using? And about 90% summarized the responses. About 90% of those businesses were using Excel and PowerPoint to execute their strategies, which of course, as we've been talking about, there's some quite complex challenges there that you're not really gonna overcome with Microsoft Office. And hence, Lucidity exists, Kevin. (laughs) Exactly,
0: and we've got our own version of the Lucidity Toolkit in which we've built many things that are directly intended for the finance community rather than the general business management or strategy community. Just before we swing over and talk about the tools side, I interviewed probably, gosh, must be about 12 months ago, Richard Nugent from 21 Leadership, consultancy based in Newcastle. But Richard's written books on strategy. He'd written a book called The Alignment Advantage, which was what we were talking about. And it was the number of times that he went into organizations and asked the senior management team who apparently had been in these offsites right. working together to put strategy together. He asked each member of the team individually what yeah. the strategy was. And he reckoned on probably 70 to 80% of the people that he went to see, the companies he went to see, there was a disconnect across that yeah. senior team that was saying not very different things, but subtly different things, like the growth target. One director will say, oh, it's 10 million. Another director will say, oh, it's of the order of 8 million. Biggish figures from where they were now, but giving different numbers. Yeah,
1: that doesn't surprise me at all. There's an MIT or a couple of MIT studies I read early on, and a third of MIT did a big survey, and a third of senior managers couldn't name any of the organization's strategic objectives. And when that got down to frontline staff, which in my mind meant sales and service, it was about 13%. So if you think about that for a second, leadership aren't clear on what's going on. And people bringing in the money and looking after the clients, even fewer of them know what's going on and where they fit in and how they contribute. And that, they're important points because that's all about people's motivation and enjoyment and happiness and employee sat surveys and all of that sort of stuff. People know what the plan is, where they fit in, how they're contributing, and also progress. Tracking progress is a critical part of executing properly. Those things are really important in terms of employee engagement. And so you can see how all of this starts to really tie together between success and failure.
0: (laughs) Number one point that we covered, I think, in depth, Tom, is do not assume that your team understands the strategy. Absolutely. Communicate
1: it again. Exactly. Because the thing is, Kevin, it's not their fault. Those sales and service people, the 13%, it's not their fault of the others to not know what the plan is. It's because they haven't been communicated very well. Now, to flip this back to the audience, the CFOs, so personally, if someone tries to communicate to me with a spreadsheet, then the energy will go out at the bottom of my feet. Me too. Yeah, exactly. Communication has to be thought, thought about really carefully. It's not hard. It just takes a little bit of thought. Good practice, very regular, either people being able to access information when they want to or have it pushed to them, at least on a, on a weekly basis. So communication has to be regular. It should be to all employees. Everybody needs to know what progress looks like so they can figure out where they're contributing and perhaps where they need to improve their contribution. And I think also spreadsheets, I can't think of a worse vehicle. I'm quite visual in terms of how I assimilate information and communicate as well. Think about the formats here, how to make it interesting, engaging, et cetera.
0: That's uh, exactly yeah. the stuff we've put the finance business partnering bootcamp together to help. Right. right. All of that visualization, putting the right message across, yeah. not baffling people with too many numbers. Uh, I think exactly. I mean, exactly. runs it. As if you're going to show them numbers, show them three numbers.
1: Yeah, exactly. The sophistication is keeping it simple. It's removing complexity. It's not increasing it or making it complex. And the other thing about this kevin, in terms of the importance of it, thinking about those dreadful percentages of people who are aware of things. I was in a business, and we took it through to investor and people gold. And to get gold was about two things at the time. I don't know what it's like these days, but one was about employee well being, and the other thing was about strategic communication. So the IIP people came in and they interviewed an alarming number of staff. (laughs) I remember thinking, oh, no. But what they were looking for was what they called the golden thread, which is from top to bottom, does everybody in this organization know what the strategy is and where they fit in? And that was to get Investor in People gold. So that just shows that it's so important to focus on this communication piece to make sure people understand what's the plan and where they fit in and what does progress look like. So again, coming back to software, you can say to some organizations, you can say to someone, how are you doing against strategy? And it might take someone two days work to come back with an answer. <laughs> right. And there's no reason for that these days. You can lay out your plan in some software with goals, KPIs, OKRs, whatever you want to run. You can integrate with your different platforms. So instead of having to look into 10 dashboards, you can just look at one dashboard, which has got all of your strategically important information in it. And people can see progress straight away. They haven't got to ask for an update. They have, no one's got to provide it. And no one's got to wait for one that those problems don't need to exist any longer. The software's there. Certainly our software's there is to wash all of those excuses away as to what the plan is and how it's going. It's not rocket science.
0: That's something we're going to go into. I think in the quest, when we get started, Tom, we'll talk about that communication piece and how to make that golden thread actually happen. But I think we'll spend a lot of time in that quest, actually looking at the tools you'd use to make sure you execute strategy. Now, The first part of that, I think, where strategy falls down is that people don't actually have the detailed plan that helps them execute.
1: Yes, it's an interesting point you make. I'm always quite struck by when we sometimes engage with customers, I'm quite often struck by how difficult it can be for people to transpose their thinking from day to a structured strategic view, which I think is to your point. I think it is quite hard for people to think sort of logically and in a structured way. We use sort of certain slides and tools to help people just understand the simple structure of how to think. And just, again, visual communication, as soon as they see that, it's a bit like the lights coming on. But it is a challenge. But if you can think about things in a structured way, OK, what's the vision? What are the big strategic, the handful of strategic objectives to support that vision? What are the, the critical goals or KPIs or OKRs that sit under that? And then what are the tasks that fall off all of those things that need to be distributed to people in a clear way so everyone's clear on what they're accountable for? It's no more complex than that. Exactly. But clearly, people do struggle with that a little bit. It's easily taught. And so hopefully, we'll see that in the boot camps. I'm intrigued just to I think that it goes.
0: The power of just simply being able to put down on a piece of paper or the screen, in our case, on the start of the plan page, those four or five big boxes that are strategic objectives and to draw the line out, a little bit like a mind map coming from those to say, and if we're going to hit that particular objective, here are the three mini projects that we've got to do. Here are the two things we've got to measure to show us how we're progressing and you've got this next layer uh, exactly mini projects well who owns it
1: exactly i've just had exactly this scenario going on with a u.s client actually in the supply chain space over in the states and really bright people the, the supply chain consultancy activity these guys are up to is incredible but they were really struggling with this sort of concept this sort of structure and I sent them over. I went really old school. I sent them over some PDFs with some boxes on in a structure and said, fill these in with your pen and send them back. And then we transposed that into the software platform. And, of course, sure enough, they got it straight away. And off they went and hammered the detail out in no time. But it's just helping people that first bit of how to just think in a structured way. I know you're a mind map fan. I'm slightly more straight lines than that. But there we go. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think... As long as you can put the structure down visually yeah, in a way that makes sense to you, in a way you can communicate it easily, and then you've got half the battle. And that's one of the nice things here, that you put the strategic objectives down in this visual form in the plan with the next layer of what's got to be done. That yeah. in itself becomes a great communication tool, tool.
1: Absolutely, because it's not hard and people see actually this isn't that complex. And so I do think most people's impression of strategy and execution, all this sort of stuff, it's all been overcomplicated. <laughs> it's not that yeah. complicated. And that breaking it down then into just bite-sized chunks of who's doing what, then of course people can get on and execute that. So it's not rocket science, is it?
0: Hmm. So what are we going to stop? So we see that clearly in the plan. What are we going to start? We see that clearly in the plan. What are we going to continue? I guess the, there must be an element, on that some plans might miss out the continue bit because they see it as business as normal. Is that a potential pitfall, do you think?
1: That's an interesting point and question, actually. So I think that the continued list does need some rigorous thinking around it, right? I think people do need to really think, yeah, what should we continue and why? This ought to be... Things that are good for the organization, whether they be products or services that are profitable, have some growth in them, or at least they're flat to growing, they're profitable, they're healthy, they have a future, they don't cause lots of problems, different types of problems. So there are certain criteria you're looking for to continue here. The other thing to consider is, of course, if you look at this as like the stable piece of the business whilst something, other bits are getting chopped off and other bits are starting. So this needs to be the bit that gives the business some stability and arguably needs to fund some of the new activity. You need to protect it, right? Because otherwise you might have a problem funding the new stuff. So this does need careful thought, and therefore, looking forward, it does need to be resourced properly, it needs to be funded properly, it should have some targets against it, et cetera, and those should be recognised and protected. So. I think it is an important point that actually that possibly is overlooked because the focus and the emotion and the energy goes into stopping and then starting. The, the arguments about what to stop and then all of the energy that has to go into driving the growth activities, that can distract you away from the bread and butter, can't it? That could distract you away from the core. The core has to be protected because it keeps the lights on and to a certain extent might fund the new stuff.
0: So, it's very important that you're measuring the continue piece to make yes. sure it is continuing. Yeah. And let's face it, within that continue list, your criteria probably has it is profitable. It has yeah, capability. So, in putting growth targets together, you should be measuring that you're hitting the growth target of the continue stuff as well as that target of the growth of the new stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You want things that they should be. Good to high revenue, good to high profit, flat or growing. Customers are good. The segment is healthy. It's got a future. It's not about to get wiped out by something. And also, the other important point here is actually that you can compete. But you've got a USP, you've got some competitive advantage, you're not getting battered. The sales process is okay. The long term value of the clients is healthy. The cost of acquisition isn't dreadful. There are all of those normal factors that you have to weigh up. And of course, if those things are not getting those ticks in the boxes, then stop it. Interesting point. Easy to forget that stuff, I guess.
0: Now, we started all of this conversation from the idea you've got the stop, start, continue list. Very early in the conversation, Tom, you were talking about what the old way strategy was done with the two-day offsite and the long prep period. You're clearly seeing things that are moving us away from maybe having the luxury of that stop-continue list that we spent a long time developing.
1: I think what's not ever going to change is strategy. If you wash away all the noise and complexity, or apparent complexity, strategy is about choice. What are we going to do and what are we going to say no to? So whatever the noise and the latest fad is, et cetera, that's what it boils down to. But yes, I think people are now starting to think and operate strategically in shorter cycles. So probably the most extreme of that would be when we have customers like this who operate on three-month cycles. So they might identify the OKRs for the next three months and everyone hammers into those. (laughs) And so they're effectively operating strategically on a quarterly basis. That's quite an extreme example. The other sort of extreme situation you might get is a turnaround whereby an organisation, for whatever reason, only has X months to sort itself out before shareholders pull the funds or refuse to do anything else or whatever. And again, you might see some quite tight timescales there. But I think in generally, the other end of this, if you like, is how many people are really honestly or genuinely able to knock out a five-year plan with any accuracy in year four and five i don't really buy that stuff
0: i don't either <laughs> i would <I'd, I'd> actually <laughs> any clients but a five-year plan i'd be saying why stick to three
1: exactly so i think mentally my brain runs out at about three years and I buy other people's arguments until that point, I think beyond three years, I don't don't think those sorts of conversations are particularly realistic, unless, of course, you've got a huge amount of data and information and research that may have cost you a huge amount of money. And, of course, a much larger organisation that have the means to do that, so that they're able and more confident about those length of
0: plans. But big events come along all the time that you'd never predicted in your five-year plan i think it's the exactly, them, exactly. It's we've seen recently is covid in 2020 look at everything that's happened the last few
1: yeah. years i feel as i've had more punches in the face the last three years than the last 30 to be honest so i do think people are operating on shorter cycles i think three months is there, but arguably a bit extreme but i think people are definitely thinking and why not to have a solid 12-month plan and really execute on it, which is what this sort of talk is about, and do a brilliant job of that. Hey, what's not to like? And then revisit 12 months, do the next 12 months, et cetera, et cetera. That is definitely something we're seeing. The other thing here, actually, that this is reminding me of, Kevin, when we're talking about these sorts of timescales is, and it's related to execution, and that is, how often should a management team be looking at this stuff reviewing progress against strategy and also how often should a board now we did some research on this and again both profit and non-profit and we found that most management teams actually were reviewing strategy on a monthly basis personally i think best practice is weekly and most boards were reviewing progress against strategy on a quarterly basis and I think best practice for a board is to review it on a monthly basis. So That's we were seeing okay behavior. We were seeing okay behavior both from the board and management team, but both of them could have pulled it forward. Management looking at this stuff every week religiously, starting off the meeting with how are we doing, and then the board looking at it monthly, I think, is the way to go. Because if you are focused on a 12-month plan, you'd probably want the board looking at it more than four times.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I think one of the big changes that we've had is the availability of data, date, the measurement in the plan that can show you on a much more real time basis how you're getting on. If you can do that, why not look at it more often? It's not exactly. There's a great big exercise to put together, pull a report together for the board. Now you should have something that says, oh, this is what the figures looked like yesterday.
1: And now as the technology is there to do that, there's no excuse, as you say, there's no excuse not to be looking at this stuff every day. Quite. Really. If it's as arduous as like logging on and looking at a browser, you should be looking at this stuff every day, and that capability is there right now. Mm. So why not leverage it?
0: Absolutely. So, Tom, I'm really looking forward to taking this further. When we Hmm. get a quest, showing people, and that majority of that quest is going to be about showing people the toolkit, showing things that we can put at their fingertips to get them across this strategy execution void, let's say. I really do think there's a big disconnect between all of that lovely thinking. We all like to go and sit around a table and say, oh, this is where we should go. This is what we should start. This is what we should stop. Here's some great ideas for the future. Let's knock them around. and." argue with each other about them, but coming out and getting something solid that you can actually execute on a day-to-day basis and then monitor over time, that's the hard bit.
1: Yes, absolutely. The tools are all there. Your community, I've said before, is so well-positioned to pick this ball up, run with it, do a great job. CFOs tend to be good planners, The finance team is used to dealing with systems and data, and more so than the average citizen, integrations. So the team is well positioned. The CFO and the CEO have a particular relationship, I think. If you look at the CEO and the rest of the management team, there is a special relationship with the CFO because they're sitting on the facts.
0: The good CFO has the special relationship as well with the other members of the C-suite. Actually, I've done, I'm in the middle of recording a podcast series that's looking at the CFO's role against each other member of the C-suite.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting. Getting into
0: this sort of discussion, that the CFO with the numbers becomes the vital oil in the cogs of the working of the whole C-suite.
1: That's a really interesting sort of point, and I agree with you. However, the, the onus is on the CFO to make sure that, for example they're not just communicating with to everyone with spreadsheets i think the onus is on them to communicate well arguably stereotypically you might get the cfo and the cro with quite different sort of behaviours and styles oh yes that's interesting i'm going to listen out for that podcast but they do need to engage with the rest of the team they've got the facts and figures but they need to communicate and convey and work With those facts and figures in a particular way, I think to make sure that things are constructive, easy, not feeling like hard work, motivational, not demotivational, etc. There's quite a lot there to unpack, I think, because also coming back to what we've talked about, they sort of, in a way, they hold the keys to what needs to get killed off and what gets some money and funding, right? So that's bound to throw up some tense conversations, and they need to handle that quite well.
0: Absolutely. Tom, we've just skimmed across the surface of a very complex area here. And as I say, thoroughly looking forward to kicking off the quest with you in two or three weeks' time. But now, thank you for being this week's guest on the Gross CFO show.
1: My pleasure, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me on again. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you at the quest.